Hi guys, welcome back to the Sam Lost podcast. Uh, I'm really excited today. I've got Eli Dent, uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, we actually played soccer together at Tormentor FC. Eli is 26 years old. He is the founder and CEO of Kick It, a very entrepreneurial man that's currently living in Chicago. So Eli, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. I've listened to so many of your episodes. So uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, to be honest, I wanted to, to get going straight into uh, a memory that I had between us. And we, so when we, we had an away game for Tormentor FC, you know, a summer team that we played for. Um, and I believe you might, you might know better than me, but I believe we went to West Virginia. And I, uh, I think, we were getting a hotel room and I don't know if it is three of us that had to share a room. It was me, yourself and Hammer, <laughs> Nikolai Hammer. And I don't know, did we all have to share the bed? I can't remember. Gosh, I can't remember that either, actually. I think it was. I think it was like one queen size bed and it was like, you know, have yeah. at it. Someone sleeping on the floor yeah. all in there. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I think... Um, I think there was some issue with the rooms and and to be honest this is actually a memory that just reminds me of you completely because there was three of us and, and hammer was a large guy as well <laughs> three of us in one bed and i remember just looking over at you and you were working away on your laptop uh, <laughs> making videos you know <laughs> but eli just to, to get started to get going um you know what are you currently doing now what are you working on um you know with the business and with kick it yeah um yeah no that, well first of all those were those were uh those were some awesome times actually the the whole genesis of where i am now is really from from those times from those trips uh i remember we were uh, i was designing the logo on the bus ride probably to west virginia you know so um so yeah those are really really fond memories for me um right now we're wrapping up 2020 you know we're um just kind of doing all the not so fun bookkeeping kind of you know just trying to wrap 2020 up and, and really i'm most excited about what's the mental space i'm going to be in in the next week and a half where i can have finished wrapping up 2020 from a number standpoint and have an opportunity to kind of step outside and take a look at it from you know how did the year really go because I'm in it every single day. And so I can get so caught up in the nitty gritty, you know, finer details of this decision and what we got to do now. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to just wrapping up this year. It, it was a challenging year um, and, and happy to go through that with you. And, um, you know, I know it's been a challenging year for everybody probably listening to this as well. So, um, you know, we've gone through a lot. And uh, right now I'm I'm very much looking forward to you know, not necessarily saying goodbye. It was a great, it was a good year for us. I learned so much about our business and about myself. Um, so, you know, it was a very fruitful year in that respect. Um, but yeah, right now we're just wrapping it up where I'm, I'm excited. We just um, made a deal with soccer.com, which is a big milestone for us. Um, yeah. It was and Eli, a, just to quickly interrupt then, yeah. you know, before we get into some of the bigger details, what you know for the audience listening tell us a little bit of an overview of your company of your business absolutely yeah so um it's if i could and there's several ways for me to go about this so it kind of depends on where the listener is but i'm going to try and give my broad um kind of broad stroke of it so we created a soccer inspired product company um so i grew up playing soccer my whole life sam and i played together and um you know, I grew up in a family in a household that didn't play soccer. They weren't familiar with it here in the U.S. It just wasn't a big thing for them. But yet they dedicated so much time and effort and sacrifices to me kind of pursuing this game that they probably thought was just crazy, you know, but it was good for me. It was healthy, you know, so they were very supportive. Um, and out of that, I kind of grew this desire to relate with them more and create something out of this soccer game that I love, this football game that I love that they can relate with. And so that's kind of the, maybe the nudge that put me on this journey of trying to create a product that's 
you know, accessible from a standpoint, it's, you don't have to have an enormous amount of foot eye coordination or dexterity to play it. Um, and so it's a little bit easier. And so what we designed was kind of for the American audience that's familiar with hacky sacks, the hacky sack is like a bag of beans. Um, I'm, at, I'm actually at my dad's drafting table. I'm here for the holidays and this is like an eraser. I don't have my, my uh, original hacky sack with me. I'm sure it's around this house somewhere, but a hacky sack is basically like a bag of beans. You know, it's like a bag of plastic pellets. And um, during the seventies and eighties, there was this big cultural thing around hacky sacks. It was a social, it was more of a social thing than anything. Um, and, and it was like juggling, basically trying to juggle the beans, right? The, yes, the bag playing yuppies and juggling with this bag of plastic pellets, right? <laughs> Um, so you just try to keep it in the air as long as possible. And there's little games you can play with that. And so it's a very social game. And I tried originally, my original thing when I was a sophomore in college, tried to kind of bring back the hacky sack, but frame it in the soccer world. So the idea was this is soccer in your pocket. You know, you can, it's a small little bag of beans. You can take it with you anywhere, put it in your pocket, you, you know, soccer in your pocket. And, um, and it just failed. It, it failed miserably. I, went about the business in a totally different way. Um, but the thing, the feedback I kept getting was it's too difficult. That was the perceived, you know, it, the perception of the product was it's just too challenging to do. So people wouldn't even try it. So then the journey became, well, I need to make it easier. I need to make it feel more welcoming and accessible. And so I came across this concept that's been around for centuries over in Asia, really. So China, um, Cambodia, Thailand, these Asian countries have this concept of kicking uh, a shuttlecock. And so what we did is I, I found those and was like, this is amazing. It's not made for soccer players. It's not very durable. They're very commoditized. So we took that concept and said, well, let's make it for soccer players. Let's make it durable. Let's make it kind of flashy, you know, kind of modern. So we re-engineered the shuttlecock to be kicked with your feet for soccer players. Um, so that's kind of the concept. And then in the past 12 months, we released the whole game around it where you you kick the shuttlecock over a net, then they receive it and you play it back and forth. So it's like, kind of like where soccer meets badminton. And so that's kick it. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. No, that's, uh, that's quite the journey, right? I mean, and so you said you started off sophomore year was basically when it started. So yeah, you know, let's let's go back there. Let's start back there then. Um, and, and talk to me about like why, why you were intrigued in business at such a young age, really, as well. You know, I think a lot of people uh, look and then start thinking, right, this is what I want to do after college. But you were in college already having those thoughts. Yeah, um, you know, I think there's so many little pieces of me growing up and kind of the people that I was exposed to and the people that I was around that has just made me lean more in that direction of trying to um you know start start something on my own and try and figure that out um you know i've got very many a few a few like kind of core examples of entrepreneurship that really have inspired me more from just being exposed to them than anything um so my dad is very entrepreneurial uh he owned a construction company and um and he's one of those guys that's very visionary very um big, big idea guy, you know, like always looking to solve problems. We'd be sitting in, you know, a cafe and he'd be like, well, what, what about this experience isn't very good? You know, maybe the coffee cup's too hot. Why is the coffee cup? Like, let's try and solve that. And it was always like funny little things like that, but that's what I was exposed to. Like all the time we would talk about how can we make this experience better than this? So my mind was like already kind of positioned that way. Um, and I, my uncle Dennis is, uh, who's a, he's not a blood relative, but he's very much someone that has influenced me from an entrepreneurial standpoint. He and my dad worked together um, and he was a very successful entrepreneur, uh, owned a media agency out in Los Angeles and was like, you know, super, super successful. And I, I had the opportunity to meet him. And, you know, over the years we've become, you know, he's basically my uncle now, right? So um, being able to just kind of pick his brain every now and then. Um, and my mother, she's a, she's a first grade school teacher. So not entrepreneurial, but yet has that bug of self-development and that bug of looking for solutions to problems, you know? So yeah, I think those are all pieces that are really important to my story of really trying to you know start a business yeah and so you know when you were 
sophomore in college where you where you walking around you know trying to trying to really in clubs talking to friends you know about when I say clubs not like nightclubs but you know entrepreneurial clubs like you know were you you know already trying to have these conversations were you that sort of guy or or was it sort of on your own thinking right what can I do having just having thoughts when you're sat in class or you know yeah no so so when I say sophomore year in college that was when I had like actually had a product like the first hacky sack production where it was like three or we actually had a thousand units they're still in my mom's house bless her heart (laughs) um we had a thousand units at that point so that was the point where I was actually really trying to commercialize and sell um but the kind of the genesis of the idea came from high school we were playing hacky sack with all my buddies in a circle and I looked around one day and I was like well none of these guys played soccer there were guys and girls none of them played soccer but here we are using the same exact mechanics of kicking something and juggling and controlling um, and passing and so that was what started it and in like throughout high school I think it was my junior or senior year in high school was when I started having these conversations with my friends um and actually my good buddy Brent Hubbard who we're like best friends to this day uh he was actually the one where I kind of pitched him initially I was like dude what do you think about you know soccer in your pocket and like leveraging you know the past cultural acceptance of hacky sacks into the soccer culture like there's a big market you know and so we started talking these ideas um and it wasn't really so like I learned so many lessons from building that that business um in the way that it we built it from like a very traditional by the book business school. This is how you build a business. So I went to USC for business school to learn how do I build this business around hacky sacks. Business plan. You got to do the the marketing analytics, the research. My internet. Okay. Yeah. I think we just lost a little bit, but now keep, yeah continue so yeah you went to business school you had your business plan yeah and and so I spent all this time doing kind of this academic very passive approach to creating the business so then I had created the product and then I went to try and go to market with it um so that was kind of what happened as a sophomore in college was we had spent all the time doing by the book things to build a company and build a business and generate sales and generate revenue and all these things and um And those are all like great pieces, like very foundational pieces. But what I learned from that experience was when I was ready to try and sell it into the market, I hadn't had a single conversation with a potential customer or a potential buyer or who our target market was. It was all just, this is my idea. And I, if I make it, they'll love it. And I, you know, so can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you fine. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I, I just, I see we're having a couple of issues. It says, does it say unstable? Yeah. Let me see if I can pause. Okay. Sorry. We had a little bit of technical issues. So just to recap, Eli, you, you basically got this product, Hacky Sack, you got it up to speed. You had done everything. You'd bought the product and then you went to try and sell it essentially, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and um, so you, you basically, um, quickly realized that you made a mistake or <laughs> yeah I mean actually it was less uh, immediate of a, of a mistake um, where it was just sort of like we built it and, and we created the product and then we got the license to sell it on campus to the university and as a student athlete I came in thinking well, great. I have this, you know, sort of this platform of being a student athlete playing soccer for the university. And I can use that to, you know, sort of leverage, hey, look, all the soccer players at the university play with it. You know, now you should try and you can't do that with NCAA. Um, is my is my sound cutting out? Can you hear me? OK. No, it's OK. Yeah. OK, good. I just want to make sure. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we're trying to leverage that and the NCAA said, no, you can't do that because that's kind of against, you know, our regulations with athletes can't promoting, you know, you can't promote a product. You can't use your image or likeness, which is a big hurdle um, for me at the time. And so then it was like, okay, well, the only way to really sell this then is either to try and go through the school library or go into retail stores around the, you know, around the campus. 
And that was a big goal of mine was to get on the shelf in a store. That was like always a big goal. Um, and no, we just couldn't, like, we couldn't really break the barrier of, you know, we go, I would go into a store and talk to the owner and say, Hey, you know, Hacky Sack, well, here's, you know, you Hacky, our company, it has the University of South Carolina logos on it. So there's some fan connection there. It should be, you know, fairly easy to merchandise and sell that. And it was just an uphill battle. It was kind of like, yeah, well, we, you know, we, why would we sell this for 10 bucks when Hacky Sacks have been around forever and we sell those for 50 cents, you know, of the, right. So it just had become a commodity at that point. So those are all conversations and lessons that I didn't learn when I was researching because I wasn't, I was doing, you know, kind of like the secondary research. There was no me interviewing potential customers for like real firsthand what's happening in the market kind of research, you know? And so where did you buy this product from and how did you get these connections? And I'm very intrigued by that. Yeah. So uh, this was, again, this was like my first kind of uh, cutting my teeth in entrepreneurship, kind of really starting to learn, like, how do you go from an idea to a physical product? And in high school, when the idea kind of originated, you know, we bought hacky stacks. I bought hacky stacks online. I bought them from this one company that I really loved. I felt like the experience was great. The quality was good. They were reliable from a customer service standpoint. So I just was like, hey, I would love to produce these, but, you know, with my own designs, can you guys do that? And they were really helpful in saying, yeah, absolutely. You know, but our minimum order quantity is X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it will take 90 days to go from order to your door. And so, you know, there were some hurdles there that I was, but that's how we got the first batch. We went just straight to a company that was already producing it and they were willing to, you know, wholesale and, and help us work through creating a custom version. Brilliant. And so, so eventually that didn't quite sell, didn't quite go as planned. Um, so then did you have, what was the next step? And, and did you have sort of a, you know, a, a realization that you're going to have to try and make something different or... Yeah. So this, this process was, um, I learned so much in this, cause this was a pivot. This was like my real first, like understanding of like, do I pivot or do I give up and go do something? You know, like, how do you navigate from having a product and done all the you know legwork and then not have it work? Like, where do you go from here? So my, it was, this was actually sort of my last ditch effort of, I still really believe in this idea. I still really believe that people would love the hacky sack you know, soccer people specifically. And if we can get team logos on there, like there's a lot of potential there. So I, I, my dad, like I mentioned earlier, had a construction company and he was actually um, re remodeling this house for this couple. And this guy owned a licensing company. He had worked with Marvel, IMG, sort of these bigger companies doing licensing for, you know, for all these brands and commoditize or uh, commercializing product. So I was like, hey, can I just have like, you know, 10 minutes of your time? I just want to pick your brain. And what I was trying to do was basically, you know, test the water, see what he thought about the idea. He's coming from, you know, that world. And if he thought it had any legs, then maybe I'll keep doing it. If not, then maybe I'll put it to bed and do something else. Um, and actually it was in that very conversation, ended up being like an hour and a half of his time in his living room. Super nice guy where he was like, you know, this is cool and all, but, you know, I went and he shared the story with me where he went to the Beijing Olympics and he saw 50 people kicking around something that looked super easy. And so in the context of my experience up until this point, when he said 50 people kicking this thing around that looked super easy, I'm like, what is this magical thing you're talking about, right? Because I'm coming from a world where Everyone thinks this is too hard. I can't get one person to kick it, you know? Yeah. So um, by the, so he was, he didn't know what it was called. And by the end of him describing this thing, he, he said it had like a tail on it and it was really bright and pink. And I was like, what is this guy talking about? Like, I legitimately was like, maybe this guy's a little crazy. Like, I don't know, you know? So I was yeah. like, thank you for your time, sir. Like, I appreciate it so much. And, you know, I'll just kind of go on my way, basically. Um, and that was the nudge or kind of the genesis of me being curious and saying, well, let me, maybe, maybe it's not curious, but let me, let me push my ego aside a little bit and, and dive into what this guy's saying. Maybe there really is something here. So I went in and started researching and that's when I found this concept that's been around for centuries and was like, this is really 
this is weird. It's very weird and foreign to me, but you know, I'm going to like, let me go. So I bought like as many as I could find from sort of these artisanal handmade craftsmen in Asia that make them. And I was like, let me just get all these. I want to see what they're like. How do they feel? You know, what, what, like, are these relatable? Do people, do you think people will like them? Um, so yeah, it, it kind of, it, it was like, I tried to pitch it from a licensing standpoint saying, Hey, look, I think this has, you know, can we license this idea? And he was like, yeah, well, but you should check out this other weird thing I, you know, seen before. <laughs> I mean, um, there's, there's, yeah. there's two points there. I mean, that in terms of like the audience that are listening for people that are like, maybe interested in starting businesses and, or being like very entrepreneurial. I mean, you went out of your comfort zone probably to, to reach out to this guy and, and just try and get 10 minutes, which then turned a conversation into an idea, you know? And I think a lot of people sometimes get, um, get a little bit intimidated or, or, or don't go that little bit of a, that little bit of a push to go, right. I want to, I'm going to reach out and just, just have a conversation. And that whole conversation just sparked a completely different, you know, pivot point, like you said. And then also for the ego, you know, to, to really, it's not an easy thing, right. Putting your, putting your ego aside. Um, but doing that, I think is two very good, uh, sort of traits to have as like an entrepreneur, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Especially like when I, I mean, I talk to a lot of friends and a lot of family and, um, you know, when they're talking about new ideas and everybody immediately wants to shut down the idea that this has been done before. No one wants to recognize and, you know, explore potential competitors and see what's already existing. They, we have this, I think, as humans, natural affinity towards, you know, thinking our own ideas are extremely novel and unique and we have to protect them. And I think that's a vulnerability in a lot of ways. I think that in order for, you know, we would never be, I would never be where I am now, you know, on this interview with you talking about this business that we made four years ago, if I hadn't said, well, let me, you know, like you said, put kind of put your ego aside and, and see what's out there. Like, don't be afraid of what people are making. I think there's so much abundance in this world. And especially with globalization and the ability to reach people that there, every idea you come up with has been thought of, you know, and that's okay. And that's okay because there's still so many other people that have never heard of it before, or ever seen it, and they don't know what it's like coming from you, you know? Yeah, no, that's great. And so, so essentially, this this magical, <laughs> this magical thing turned into sidekick. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, tell me how long how long then did sidekick last, and um, and how that went? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> The, the hacky sack thing and, and the switching into like, it was all in this, like right before you and I met on Tormenta FC was this process of pivoting and testing these other products that I had found from Asia and all these other countries and giving them a test and trying to identify what do I like, what do I not like, how can we make this more durable for soccer players? And I was still very much on the edge of like, do I kind of go in on this? Because I had talked to manufacturers at that, at that point who were giving me, you know, 300 unit minimum order quantity. And I'm like thinking to myself, I don't have a thousand dollars to drop on 300 units. Like I'm a college kid with no money, you know, like there's no resources here. Um, and, uh, and so, but we started playing for Tormenta FC. And I think this is where fate sort of plays maybe a little bit. Our mascot was an Ibis and an Ibis is a bird. And that to me was like almost a sign of, man, this, what a better, what, there's no better opportunity to bring something that's crazy. It involves feathers and soccer together than to be playing for a team in a town, the inaugural season and mascot is an Ibis. So (laughs) funny, too good. (laughs) I I just reached out to the, um, the owners, Darren and Nietzsche, who are just amazing people, as you know, and they were like, this is cool. I think you should go for it. And, you know, we'll put it outside on the stadium and we'll put it at the table in the merchandising tent. And I was like, this is it, you know, this is the chance. Um, so, you know, and so that was called Sidekick. That's where Sidekick was born. The idea of the name behind a Sidekick is that I felt like I wanted to make the soccer player and my target was, you know, youth soccer players because it was kind of a soccer juggling tool. That was the positioning that we were putting behind it. Um, it 
trains you with rhythm. It trains you with timing and foot-eye coordination. And I felt like those are things that young soccer players need to develop um, as being, you know, one myself. Um, and so we created it called the sidekick because all the soccer players were the hero and the sidekick wanted to be with you in your bag, always got your back. You know, this is your sidekick. Um, and there's also a little bit of play on words where you kick it with the side of your foot. And um, so, yeah, that was where sidekick came from. And we ran with that brand for two and a half years. And this is another point where I kind of, um, I think, learn to maybe take my ego out of the equation and stop thinking, oh, man, I think this name is the greatest name ever because we came up with it and started because what was happening when we would go to youth soccer tournaments and demonstrate the product and sell it and talk to people about it, is all the kids kept saying, kick it, kick it. <laughs> we pick that up. What do you do with that? Well, you kick it. And it was like, kick it, kick it, kick it. And that's all I kept hearing. And that's for years we were hearing that. And I was like, man, that might be you know, the customer telling me something like, maybe I need to listen to that. Why is it called a sidekick? Cause when I ask people about it or when people would ask me about it, like family members would be like, Hey, how's the, um, you know, how's the kick it going? Cause they're looking for sidekick and they can't remember it. And, um, so it wasn't until this, you know, past 16, 18 months that we created a new brand of kick it. Um, so that's been a huge ordeal in itself of like rebranding and, packaging and all of that okay and and so how overall um big picture how did sidekick do in terms of your numbers in terms of your overall success would you say uh, i think it did really i think it did really really well which made the rebrand a really really challenging decision to make um we had at that time when i was really considering this rebrand had gone through an uh, incubator. So we had pitched to get into this startup incubator here in Charleston, South Carolina. And we made it to the finals. We were a finalist. We got second place. Um, it was a very successful pitch. I think, you know, the product at that point was getting some great product reviews. We were getting some traction. We were getting some sales. And, um, we'd actually secured funding through that pitch. So that incubator was a great opportunity to get exposure to investors. And we secured some funding under that brand of Sidekick. And, and the you know investor that came on board was a huge fan of just sticking with that and just go with it. If it's working, don't fix it, you know, don't fix what's broken type of philosophy. And, you know, but I just felt that the customer was telling me kick it made more sense to them and kick it was more memorable to them. And so we explored, is Kick It even available? Can we do that? You know, um, and it was. And I was like, you know, this is going to be maybe a painful six to eight month sprint of trying to sort of phase out a brand that's getting traction. I mean, at the time, our website was great. It was converting at a really high rate. We were getting good traffic organically on Google. We were showing up. So there was a lot of things that were saying, maybe we shouldn't do this. Um, but I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And so essentially uh, the product, uh, so it was a rebrand of the name, but also the product it, itself as well had a slight addition. Yes, correct. So we, one of the, some of the feedback we've gotten over the years as we were targeting six to 12 year old soccer players was kind of the learning curve when you're first juggling what was at the time the sidekick and it's a little bit challenging and that's, to me, when I was a soccer player, like I was a very competitive person. I loved the challenge. I loved juggling, but like not all soccer players love juggling. A lot of soccer players aren't in it for that. You know, there's different things. And so for me, it was, I liked the challenge, but we were getting feedback of like, it's hard, you know, it's kind of hard to get these kids involved if it's too challenging in the beginning. So in our, in our mission for rebranding it to kick it, the idea of rebranding it in the first place was kick it is a much more memorable thing for a more you know a broader audience versus a sidekick you'd really have to understand the context and what that is um, so in this mission to make our product more accessible from a branding standpoint we went down this journey of well let's explore maybe we launch the new brand with an easier version of the product so I brought on um, she's actually been with me from really the beginning of kick it or of sidekick since I started actually 
that's maybe not so fair, but from the very early stages, her name's Krissa. She's a partner of ours and she went to MIT for engineering. She was in the Air Force. She'd worked at NASA. She's worked at Space Force. Like she's just a brilliant entrepreneur in her own right, but also an engineer. So she came on board as I was, I actually, so I was going to college at Charleston and I started really building out this concept. And I said, I think technology is going to be a really fun and important piece of the longevity of, of our product. So we built this counting module. It was like a, a, a microchip that you fit inside the sidekick and you plugged it in to your computer to get all the data and you could see how many juggles you did that day. And so, because as a kid, juggling is a metric for growth. You can quantify improvement by how many juggles you could get like early on you know it's like whoever got the most juggles was like better right yeah i mean uh, that, that that kind of reminds me as well of like you know for, for everybody that's listening is like apple watches and fitbits where it's counting your steps you yes. know and you every day you're like right you know this is what i've done or you know and i feel like i sort of the same with in in the with that the, the chip and counting the juggles Absolutely. Exactly the right. Um, it's, it's sort of like gamifying it. Right. And you're making it and you're making it fun. Like people love technology. Um, so I started going down that route and I pitched that to her. And because I knew she was local in town. She had a technology company. She was interested in toys and games. And she was like, this is great. And that's kind of where our, our friendship and mentoring relationship began. And she really helped us, helped me fine tune and re-engineer the sidekick to be easier we went on like an eight month like you know spending four hours in the garage for you know saturday and sunday zoom calls calling each other testing different products materials it was such a blast and the coolest thing about that experience of being on the floor in the lab so to speak with an mit like a trained <laughs> engineer was it's not rocket science like as much as she has all that experience, when you get down to creating a product and physically manifesting an idea, it's about just get some materials together, get your hands on it, get some scissors, cut some paper out. Like that's what we did. Like we, we pulled apart Gatorade bottles. We hot glued feathers to like the inside of a Gatorade. Like it was insane, but <laughs> it was so cool to be a part of that process with her. It wasn't like we outsourced the product development it was like no I'm in this because I'm passionate about it and she's passionate about me being passionate about it, so we're working on it together um so yeah we created it easy we created an easier version we made the the kick the kicking surface which we call the the elastic kick pad we made that about 40 percent bigger um which in itself is it is a really simple con concept but in practicality it threw the entire physics of our product off. Like it wouldn't flip over as quickly or it flipped over too quickly. So that's where she came in and really helped us dial in like, well, we need to expand the cavity and put the feathers at this angle and, you know. So, so you, you basically, you changed the product and then how did you then manufacture, um, you know, 300, a thousand pieces, whatever. Like how did you, did you go to the factory and was like, hey, this is what I need now. And they were able to do it. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't that easy. Yeah, yeah. really educational process for me as well. Because, um, especially as I was working with Krissa and she's she had at the point at that time gone through, I mean, she she I think owns like eight or nine patents, and she had gone through product development process before with physical products. So she had built tooling. So we had to build a tool, like a steel mold for. Uh, the plastic centerpiece that connects the feathers to the rubber. And that whole process requires a very intense level of mathematics and modeling and 3D modeling and testing. And so she really helped to make that go smoothly. Um, it, it was very much about here's the CAD. So a CAD uh, model would had, it's like a 3D model, but it has all the engineering specs and data inside of that file. So we would send that to the factory. They'd say, okay, yes, we could do this, or we couldn't do this because we started building a very intricate one and it's a mold. And so you have to be very aware of, well, if you build that mold that way and pour the plastic in there and it hardens, you can't separate the mold from the plastic without it breaking at this certain point, you know? So there's like all these different intricacies of that, that I didn't know. And so we had been in business long enough and had built a rapport enough with this production house 
um, this factory that they were willing to kind of go through this process with us. Uh, but, it, but having Krissa as a expert really helping to make that run smoothly and communicate effectively was, was really important. But yeah, it's very much about having, you know, the right CAD drawings, getting engineering and tooling made. Um, and once we kind of worked through that process, we had samples made and, but we were on a sprint. I mean, like, this was like very startup-y, like we got to get this product to market ASAP because we're running out of inventory now. And we need, we, we have all this cash in, in house now because we're about to invest that into it new inventory for this new product, like the runway was so short. Mm. And so, you know, we didn't really have time for like four rounds of samples. We had one sample. I said, that's good enough, except you got to tweak that. And then we had to cross our fingers and hope that the factory tweaked it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I'm sure you had some sleepless nights. Oh, many sleepless nights. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I mean, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people and, and, um, you know, the, the anxiety, the fear, and, you know, where you just said you had such a short runway and, you know, does that play a part or, do, you know, even though it might be fearful at the time, is that sort of part of the fun? Do you enjoy that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of times and this year specifically has been one of those where I really have to remind myself that I'm working on something that I'm passionate about and I love and, you know, I, I've spent more time this year than I have in the past at my computer doing spreadsheets and bookkeeping and, you know, contracts and legal stuff that really isn't what I started out this business to do. And I really have to, I had to work this year a lot on reminding myself of like, you have this product right next to your, like, go kick that thing, man. Like, that's what you're (laughs) doing this for, you know? Um, So yeah, I think, it's you have to have like those reminders and touch points of like putting your perspective on it and saying yes there are so many things I could be working on and so many things I'm probably balls that I'm juggling in the air right now and I might miss that one but you know it's just part of the process we're human you know of course yeah so in terms of the process and so we had the hacky sack we had sidekick now we're on to kick it it's been around for 14 months you said right so And, and so now let's talk about that, that little journey right now. And I know you mentioned right at the start, soccer.com. So yeah, talk to me a little bit about that now as well. Yeah, it's a really exciting time, I think, because we're, we, this is the first full year. So for 12, we launched the Kick It Sport Pack, which is Kick It, the Kick Shuttlecock that we created with the Sport Pack and the Sport Pack is a portable net in a bag. So, you know, it takes you 60 seconds of pop-up steel frames and this net that we designed for it. And off you are playing the game over the net. And so it's been the first year that we've had that concept in the market here in the US. Um, We doubled from last year where we were uh, from a sales perspective during a pandemic, which is, you know, something that I'm really proud of because we worked so hard to just go from, you know, we had to prove this concept. Like this was make or break. Again, like we have a very short runway. We don't have, you know, an enormous amount of capital to play around with. So it's very much like the R&D is real time and our customers are real time feedback. Um, and we had to innovate, you know, on top of that. So it's been it's been such a cool experience for me because we went from a single product as a soccer juggling device to now sort of this product line where we're more wrapped around a game. And and it's like this full experience now, which is so cool. We still have so many things that need to be improved on it. Um, but, you know, that's just part of it. And so, yeah, we recently, this year has been a lot about proving the concept. People can do it. Kids can do it parents can do it, you know, so we spent a lot of time educating the market and doing a lot of those types of activities, and towards the end of this year, uh, I got introduced to soccer.com, a couple of the buyers at soccer.com, and soccer.com is like the biggest online soccer retailer in the world, so this is like a huge deal um, that we were able to get that introduction, and it was definitely a, a game of follow-up you know it was like hey I got it I got like 30 30 seconds let me jump on this zoom call she was so sweet um very willing to listen to me and let me pitch and kind of hear what we're doing 
And then it was like silence. And this is like October. It was like dead silence. You know, I wasn't hearing anything. And I was just like, well, I'm going to like, you know, share good news. Like, hey, we just did this. Like David Beckham posted a video juggling a very similar concept, which is legitimizing our concept within the greater sphere of global soccer. You know, like just sharing good news and following up. And it was the last we were like my partner Kent and I were talking about it and he was he's sometimes more of an optimist than I am and he was like you know I think we should just send her one more email and at this point I'm like Kent we've sent her 20 emails with no response like we can't do another email and he was like let's just send her one more so he sent her an email and boom she responded she's like look send me all your product information let's get this up and going like so it happened in a flash um yeah it was so exciting so amazing that was one of those goals that I think I had from the very beginning of like the mecca of creating a soccer product is if you can get it on soccer.com, like that is a big deal. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was crazy. It was, <laughs> so cool. are they, are they now looking to bring that product in um, on, onto their website? Yeah. So we were able to just with actually I learned this with COVID and this may be something if someone's, you know, got a product business and they're trying to figure out how do we sort this retail because a lot of uh, retailers are going online, you know, and so there's a lot of opportunity there in partnering with a retailer in a drop shipping relationship versus sort of the traditional wholesale model where they buy the, they buy your inventory for half, you know, yeah, they resell it. There's a lot of risk for them. Yeah, um, and so- drop drop shipping for for people that are listening is essentially where someone would go on to soccer.com, the website would buy the product and it would be you guys that basically deliver the product, right? Yes, that's right. So that's exactly the relationship we started off with with them for the holiday season. We came in like right at the last minute saying, hey, you know, and they were like, let's get it on our website. Let's, this will also give us less risk to putting it on soccer.com and we'll be able to see how it responds, how the market responds, how many units will sell. So that in 2021, we come to, place an order for holding inventory we'll have a better idea of how to do that so um we've been using that dropship model like the, the last four months have been instead of us focusing on selling a you know large batch of inventory to these retailers that have traditionally bought them we said hey look let's take the stress off of your shoulders you just promote it on your end and we'll handle all the fulfillment brilliant and to be to be honest eli like just listening to your story throughout it seems like you're constantly analyzing um, every little situation, every little detail to see, right, what, what advantage can we take here? Um, what do we need to change? Uh, all these little things, it, you know, is your mind just constantly thinking about, about the product, about what can we do better? You know, is that, is that sort of a, a daily th- a thing that you, that you think about? Absolutely. And that's where I go. I'm doing something that I'm passionate about and I'm like I love it and it's it's like a hobby turns career and so by nature I'm always thinking about it and it's I think that's a blessing and a curse I think it's a blessing because you know when you're when you were playing soccer it was the players the reason why you got to be so good and such an effective striker and goal scorer wasn't because you just showed up at practice you know three nights a week and then showed up for the weekend like you were at home, like you were shooting against a wall or you were playing with your friends and like you were always doing it because you loved it. And I think that's where this is a blessing to me because I just love it so much that I spend a lot of time thinking about small things that we could do better in this. And if I wasn't doing that, if I was just treating it like a job, we wouldn't be, we just wouldn't be, I don't think we wouldn't connect as authentically as I think we're, at least we're trying to connect on something we are. Um, so it's a blessing in that, in that regard. And I think it's also a curse because, you know, it's hard to turn it off. When do you know, you know, right. when you turn it off, so. so that's, that's actually something that I, I actually battle with. And it's something that I think about a lot is, you know, having to go all in on something to go a hundred percent or to, you know, to get that little balance where you, you just said yourself, you know, you, you might struggle with a little bit, you know, it's, I find it very fascinating because I, I believe I've seen people that have, have managed to, to have that balance and still maybe hit some of their goals and be successful. But, you know, what's your take on sort of all of that going 100% in or, or not and maybe having a little bit of balance? I mean, I'm sure you do, you know, add balance to your life. And what is that? Yeah, 
question. I think that for me, the process of going all in took me, it took me a lot of time to really do that from a standpoint of like, I was scared. Like when I first started doing this and, you know, even to this day, I have a lot of friends that are like, oh, so like, you know, what do you do for like your normal job? And I'm like, oh, this is it. And they're like, whoa, really? Like, that's crazy. You know, because it's, it, it is so, it's amazing the time that we live in, that you have this opportunity that you can go all in on things and end up making them, you know, pay the bills. And so, yeah, I've been very fortunate in that regard, but I feel like going all in for me was a process of being really scared and not really knowing if I could do it. And like, I was working a job, I was working in technology um, as a technology consultant sales rep um, for 10 months, right after I got outside of college, I was still doing every, every weekend I was going on the trip to a youth soccer tournament to do a sidekick, you know? So I was always doing that on the weekends. And then in the evenings I'd be working on the website, but then during the day I had nine to five work in technology. And then I got into this incubator and this incubator for me, when I got into that was a sign of, okay, maybe I'm onto something. People are accepting this. People are maybe excited about it. It was validating for me. And that I think through that process, it was like a three or four month incubator. And at the end of it, we had to pitch. And at the, like two months into that incubator, I was spending eight hours of my day, you know, I'm supposed to be on sales calls and I'm sitting here like working on sidekick and I'm like, this can't be right. Like, this isn't good for my, like I'm working, you know, like I should be, but then I was just like, you know what? I got to, I just got to drop. Like I, it's not, it's not for me. Like I need to be spending all my time doing sidekick and just try and find a way to work. So, I mean, going all in, like I worked, I lived at home at my parents right after college. Like a lot of my friends had gotten full-time jobs. They had their apartments, they were in New York, you know, and I was at home, like just doing my thing. I was like, I don't care you know, like I have an opportunity to live at home. So lucky for that. And to be able to just focus on trying to make this thing work. Um, so it was a process for sure. And I think really it took me about a year of actually being full time all in on it to really be no this is my thing like I'm all in yeah. I'll talk about you know yeah so you so you you would say that you've been full time with this for I guess the what the last three years yeah I would say so in 26 we started it in 2016 I graduated college in 2017 and probably it was like seven or eight months after I graduated college that I went all in on it so really about, uh, I would say all of 2018, all of 2019, all of 20, yeah, all of 2020. So about, yeah, three years, probably. And, you know, you, you don't have to go in too deep on this, but does it pay the bills? And, and how, how has it been, you know, year one, was it a bit like, oh, I might have to, uh, to really cut back and not get the expensive fruit and veg that I want, you know, at the, at the superstore. But yeah, you know, how, how has that been each year? Yeah. Um, so, like I said, when I like the, when I first started going out and just doing this all in, and this is my full time thing, I was able to live at home, so I didn't have to pay any bills for rent. Um, I, you know, I paid for food, but that was about it. And so, you know, my bills were super low at the time. I mean, I think I was paying myself maybe like, and like, this comes from bootstrap. Like I'm thinking the business needs all the money. I don't need the money. Like I really, I just don't, I've just never been like super materialistic. And like, I don't feel like I need to go buy a nice watch or go get a nice car. Like I felt, you know, I I just needed to make sure that the business could buy inventory. Like let's get through these sales and get inventory. And I wanted to grow a business. That's what my biggest motivation was. I want to build a business. Um, And so you know, paying the bills for me early on was like, you know, maybe 500 bucks a month. Um, and, and, and then it was, you know, my fiance now, she matched at school, medical school in Chicago. And we had already just like six months before we knew she was going to be going there. I had set up a fulfillment center in Chicago just because it's so centrally located. And so it was just like a perfect storm of she's got to go there. I got to go there. Um, and so going into a Chicago lifestyle, paying bills far exceed what I was used to, you know? Um, so yeah, it absolutely does pay the bills. Um, and you know, we've got like 12 people on the team at this stage. They're not all full-time. Um, and you know, we're very remote. It's still a very small lean business. 
Um, so, you know, right now it's all just about making sure everybody's getting paid and the, the you know, cash is coming in and the products are going out and we're getting great reviews. Um, yeah. So I would say, you know, this year has, has challenged that. I think there's, you've seen, there's so many businesses that have gone under and we've, we raised capital this year in a pandemic which I never thought would have been possible. I thought that would have been a really hard thing to do. It probably is as hard as it's ever, like I, I heard this from one of our earlier um, business partners saying, he was like, look, it, whether you raise $50,000 or whether you raise $500,000, it's all hard. You know, it's not like one is easier than the other. It's the same process of, having to build trust and pitching and, you know, and so, um, yeah, I mean, we raised capital this year, which has really enabled us to continue the growth. Um, but it's not all about growth either. Like that's a big lesson I'm learning this year. It's not all about, well, what was your top line? It's about, you know, are you having repeat customers? Are you having relationships with your customers that they're now telling people in word of mouth, organic growth? And that's going to become more and more of a pillar of business, I think, as we move forward. It's going to be less about these fly-by-night, direct-to-consumer brands that buy Facebook ads. And it's going to be more about, because that's just not sustainable, it's going to be more about what are you doing offline? How are you connecting people offline? Do you mean something to them when they're not online, you know? No, that's that, I think that's very, very important. And I, I agree with you. I think a lot of businesses, yeah, look at that as like trying to get the quick quick approach and aren't focusing on on yeah getting the right product and and really getting that person to love the product to share their experience with other people and like you said grow it organically as well so um that's huge I mean you, your, your team has grown as well you know you uh, you've got 12 people obviously I know you said some of them are part-time how has it been having to lead you know sort of lead a team now you've always been a part of the team especially you know playing soccer um how has it been? What approaches have you taken? What have you learned from leading a team? Gosh, that's such a good I think that's been on my mind more so this year than it has been ever because we just, you know, we, it's, it's had to. I've had to kind of evolve. And um, honestly, like, I'm still thinking, am I doing a good job? Like, because there's always, especially at this stage that we're at, it's a very volatile environment in regards, like, if you come on, like, you have to perform. And if you don't perform, we have to cut, like, it just, it can't go on. Like, we can't support dead weight in a lot of ways. Um, and so, it, because of that volatility, it can very quickly become, well, they're not the right person. Let's just, you know, let's find someone else to replace them. And I think there's an element of that that's important. You have to kind of know, you know, you have to fire quick and hire slow, I think is maybe some of the philosophy that I've been reading. Um, but I think there's also a big element of, well, hold on a second. Maybe they would be better. Maybe they could perform if I instilled a little bit more confidence in them or if I communicate with them more and schedule more meetings with them and just like, let's go through the problem together. It's not just their problem to solve. It's ours, you know? Um, so I'm still learning that. Like, I still feel like I have such a long ways to go from where I am now to really leading and, um, communicating in a way that gets a collective buy-in that we're all heading in the right direction and working together. I think I have so much to learn. I bought this book recently called leadership. Um, and I'm really excited about it. It's, it's, uh, it's basically kind of, um, a backstory on Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, um, Franklin Roosevelt. And it's like, these are the leaders that we now look back on and say, these are guys are prolific. These are amazing leaders. And what made them amazing wasn't that they were going through a period of time that was peaceful. These were going through the most, you know, challenging times of our history. And that's why they're so revered. That's why they're so amazing to learn about because and I learned, and I picked up that book specifically because I was challenged with 2020. How do I keep my team motivated and together in a pandemic? You know, like that, I didn't, ha I don't have the tools for that. So I wanted to go find what has been done before, you know? And so I'm excited to kind of learn more about that and try and better my, that's like the, you know, self-development, personal development stuff. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, Eli, just from speaking from you to you, just from knowing you as well, you know, I know that you're you're the go-getter. You're wanting to uh, to do everything. I'm sure you're you're wanting to be involved in everything. You you love it. You're passionate, and you know, to to get this this huge success and this growth, um, it's very important to have a team, right? And to to have that team of twelve and and to maximize that team of twelve. And, and so that's, you know, that's, that's great that you're, that you're taking that approach now that you're, that you're looking at the leaderships and, and how you can really affect, the, affect your group as a whole to help grow your business. Absolutely. Here's a, a that I played college of Charleston. Is this sound? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Let me just pause it. So there's a teammate of mine that I played with at the College of Charleston, Cesar Murillo, and he was our captain. And uh, I took so many lessons and so many pages from his book as a leader. He just was a natural born leader. He knew how in a team environment, how to make you as an individual feel a part of that and feel like we wouldn't succeed without you and without you. And he had such an amazing way of building that spirit within the team. Uh, and that's something that I will forever take with me because he was a leader, right? And you know from playing soccer that it's a team sport. And in business, especially if you look at kind of this American culture now around entrepreneurship, it can very much be about the individual. And it's this guy, it's he's the brand and he's the company. Yeah. And, you know, I think that people value that right now that seems to be there's a lot of attention around the individual but there is no individual without a collective and I think being able to learn that early on from a soccer standpoint an athletic standpoint will really help us try and create a very you know a team culture for me I don't want to be at the finish line by myself you know I want to be there and celebrate with a room of people that I love you know yeah of course so no, that's, that's it's so important. And, you know, it's great. We've, we've literally just gone through your journey sort of up to this day. And, you know, as we're speaking right now, it's December 29th, uh, 2020. We're about to go into 2021. You know, what are your goals going forward? And what, where do you see um, Kick It what, with the future? I am so <laughs> excited about 2021. I just am so because I think that the past year, this past year and the year before that was very much us learning more about our product, learning more about our customer. Um, and also me learning about what drives me to push this forward. And this year alone, as I mentioned earlier, I spent a lot of time on my computer doing a lot of you know the nitty gritty stuff that you kind of have to do. And I think that pulled me away from being able to ignite the energy and excitement around just playing the game. And I think, 2021 is going to be more about me finding ways to move myself out of the critical equations in the business and put myself in a position that I can inject that energy. I think that's where my strength is because I'm so passionate about it. So 2021 for me, a big goal is hosting tournaments, events, building a league. We've got a facility in Chicago that we are striking a, a partnership with right now so that we have a space to play. Um, and so that's a big, a big thing for me in 2021. And then the next thing we just created a fulfillment or set up a fulfillment center in Kilkenny, Ireland, which is going to give us access, more access to the UK and Europe and all these iconic soccer countries, football countries, if you will. Um, so I am so excited about being able to just access them and communicate with them. Um, and I hope, I really hope. I can get a trip and I can go over there and just put my boots on the ground, have some of our teammates there and just go play, you know? Yeah, that is, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not even part of it, but I'm, I'm super, <laughs> I'm super excited for you. Um, no, that's great. That's, that's fantastic. And uh, just to sort of wrap up a little bit, I've had, you know, a few more questions and um, what would you say, if people are starting out a business, if people are looking to maybe do their own thing, what would you say a couple of the biggest um, advice, a little couple of pointers you, you, you would give to them? 
Yeah, I would say don't be afraid to explore what already exists. I think you're going to find that there are so many clues in past success that you can leverage and it will accelerate you instead of it challenging you because you feel like it's already been done before. Um, so that's one thing. And then the next thing I would say is go like go as quickly as you possibly can from idea to physical prototype. And that physical prototype doesn't have to be something that was machine tooled out of a factory and sent and it's all the bells and whistles. It could be as simple as a couple of rubber you know, circles stapled together with some feathers stapled together. Like it doesn't have to be like, all you need to do is get validation. And I think the quickest you can go from idea to physical, if it's a physical product and go talk to customers and share it and just share it with people, that is the first step. Don't do the business plan. Don't do the, like, those are not the first steps. In my opinion, yeah. those are long-winded. And at the end of it, you still might not have the right answer. I, I actually really like that point. And um, I actually think I heard uh, Mark, I think Mark Randolph, I think his name is. I think he was the um, CEO of Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong. But anyway, I remember him saying that uh, there was a woman that was intrigued in like, uh, basically these clothes where you can rent people's clothes. So like you see these people, they have like nice clothes or like, um, you know, there's clothes that I have that, you know, might not been worn in a while. And essentially she she had this idea and he was like, well, go and test it, go and see if it works, you know? And before you do all of this, put all this time, this energy, the business plan, just go and test it. So he said, get a piece of paper, get a pen, write on, um, on, on, on there that you want to uh, rent out your coat and knock on my door if you're interested. Put that sign on your door and see if you get any knocks. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's just something just as simple as, as that to, to see if your idea does get traction, to see if you have, um, have any substance there to work off, you know. I love it. I totally agree with that. <laughs> um, no, it's a great. So, that's fantastic. And then what about um, a couple of the biggest entrepreneurial influences or books or podcasts or anything, you know, anything that you, you think people should listen to, read or, or anything? Yeah, um, I've got so many. Let me see. Um, so the one that I find myself most frequently, especially um, through 2020, uh, from a motivational, let me, you know, stay in it because it's so easy, you know, during this year to just kind of be distracted by challenges. Um, one of the podcasts from an entrepreneur standpoint that I just love to listen to, and it also feeds other aspects of me from like just my spiritual, you know, like I feel I need to be energized by powerful and exciting people. This podcast that uh, it's called Max Out by Ed Milet is a great one. I love that. Um, that's one that I've frequently visited. Uh, from an entrepreneurial standpoint of like a person that I love and follow and um, kind of idolize in a lot of ways, I would say uh, is Russell Brunson. He's the CEO of ClickFunnels, which is a e-commerce platform. And it's okay. He would probably be upset that I called it an e-commerce platform, but for, for the layman reader and business, you know, as you're listening and learning about e-commerce and small business, but uh, Russell Brunson's just, he's a, he's the attractive character of his company and he is so authentic and connects so well with people. And I, I think that, um, he's created an amazing movement. And so he's kind of like someone that I put up on a pedestal and I love to listen to a lot. Oh, no, I like that. I actually haven't heard of either of those guys. So I will check those You'll guys. You'll love them. You'll love them. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, and to finish off, Eli, what is something that people uh, don't know about you? <laughs> so I think that probably one thing that comes to mind immediately anyway, that I get ragged on a lot from my inner circle, but like no one outside my inner circle knows this, is I, I don't know and I'm a terrible, I, I can't remember lyrics to any song. And it doesn't matter if this song is like the most popular song. And I know this, I can recognize it through the rhythm and the beat, but I just don't know. I don't know the lyrics. So like, that's 
probably something that most people don't know about me is I, you know, everyone as you, well, you know, when we go back to being able to dance in clubs and, you know, when a song, pop a song comes on and your, your friend turns over to you and they start singing and they're looking for you to sing with them. I'm just not there. I'm not in my head. I'm with you, but I can't sing it. You know, <laughs> I wish I could though, if there was any gift, like if I could go back and trade any gift for it, I would become a singer. I would love to have a voice. Man. Yes. I, I agree with you there, to be honest. I think it is, uh, it's amazing how you can make people feel and like really touch, you know, by, by a voice. It's, it's pretty insane. Um, no, that's, that's fantastic. Well, just make sure that you don't uh, create any songs for Kick It. And I think you should be. But no, Eli, um, you know, just to wrap up, um, I, I think it was fantastic sort of just talking about your journey a little bit and, um, obviously you know very entrepreneurial since since a young age and and now you're, you're 26 which is still so young you know it's it, I think sometimes uh we all get a little bit caught up with trying to get stuff very quickly but 26 years old I'm I'm super excited about um your 2021 and beyond especially for Kick It um and you know obviously I know for yourself you've got a podcast that you do um I believe is it is it just called Kick It or Yeah, so it's called, it's called um Kick It with Eli. Kick It with Eli, that's it. Okay. So um I know you've just started that. I've been listening as well. So uh for any you know listeners, give that give that a listen as well. Um if you want to hear more about his day-to-day -day and some of the processes that he goes through as an entrepreneur. Um Eli, if people want to reach out to you if they want to pick your brain for 10 minutes um what would you say the best way to contact you is yeah i am a kind of find myself on instagram probably more than other platforms we uh so yeah reach out to me and my instagram handle is just eli eli dot dent d-e-n-t um and usually i'm pretty quick to, to answer my uh dms brilliant perfect well guys i would say to go ahead and follow uh both Eli Dent and their Kick It page um, because they have some really, really cool, cool content, some great videos. Uh, you'll be able to see that when you go and check it out for yourselves. Um, but yeah, again, thank you very much, Eli. I'm really excited for you. Um, and, you know, let's, let's reconnect in two years' time, three years' time, five years' time, and we can have another conversation to see how far this has gone as well. So, um, yeah, thank you. I love it. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you so much, Sam, for having me. This has been a this has been a blast. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to your podcast, and um, I'm excited to hear hear the next few episodes. So we'll, we'll look out for what you've got on the on the horizon. <laughs> thank you. So, guys, thank you very much. That was the thirteenth episode. Thankfully, I don't think it was too unlucky. Um, we had a couple of trips, obviously, with the uh, the network connection, but. Um, no, really excited. I was really glad I could get another interview done. And the next one will be in 2021. I am super excited. Um, don't know what's going to come up next. I guess we will see, won't we? But stay tuned and I will speak to you soon.